Welcome to Into the Known, a podcast focused on helping you find the known within you. With you today are your hosts, Cindy and Lisa. And today we have a very special guest, Melanie Klein. Melanie is an internationally recognized and sought after empowerment coach, thought leader, and influencer in authentic empowerment, body confidence, and visibility. You can find her on Instagram at melmelkline and at melaniekline.com. melaniekline.com. Oh, sorry. Yeah, if you go to Mel- melaniekline.com, I think you end up in the Freudian space. Yes, you do. Uh, you don't don't go there. <laughs> don't go there. <laughs> so Mel- melaniekline.com. Yes, thank you. Welcome Melanie. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, I'm really I have all kinds of notes of things I want to talk about, so we're just going to see where we go. Sounds fun. Let's do it. <laughs> so, to start, can you share a little bit about your journey to coaching combined with your journey as a professor? One of my favorite things about you, Melanie, is you straddle these various worlds in a very graceful way. And for somebody who is learning how to straddle those worlds, it's very inspirational, but it is also such a hallmark of somebody that's taken their own path. And I know that they kind of evolve together. And then there's this third piece of the empowerment that I see as like the bridge between the two. That's how I see it as the outsider. But if you want to share a little bit about how you got your journey started and all of that fun stuff. Just, I should warn you all that there are no short answers available on my end, especially with a question that absolutely enormous. So I will start, interject at any time if you want to do some probing questions, right? As academics (laughs) like to do. Um, (laughs) But I'll start just by saying that um, if I go really far back, to be quite honest, from the time that I was an adolescent going into my teen years, there was definitely always a very consistent um, inquiry process happening on the inside. And whether it was through art or through music, um, reading literature, um, having deep conversations with friends, I was always a seeker. I was always someone who wanted to know more. I wanted to unravel mysteries. I wanted to be in creation energy. And so that was very much a part of who I've always been. And when I was in my early 20s, I was really at the beginning of, let's say, more of a formal journey. And that was specifically because I had dealt with um, some pretty, um, (laughs) I'm trying to think of the right word, um, pretty volatile experiences when I was younger from an incredibly... Uh, emotionally and psychologically abusive relationship with someone I had been with since I was 14, um, dealing with uh, depression, um, a general sense of malaise, if you will, not feeling that I was capable of really doing much. I didn't know how I was going to take care of myself as an adult. So there was also a lot of fear. And so I'm interjecting here to say, like, I am genuinely this, this part of the story is new to me. And I am incredibly even more inspired by you because I know where you are today and to hear that there was a relationship in your late teens and that there was depression in melee is like I would not I know you we're born out of our challenges but I would not have guessed any of those things at such a young age given where you are today so and I'm surprised that people wouldn't see that and then it reminds me that you know I don't always talk about all the facets because there are so many components so it's interesting you know in different conversations or podcast interviews, what sometimes comes out, right? It really depends on 
just the context of the day depends on the host. So uh, yeah, I, I don't even know if I've shared that specifically. Maybe I have, but clearly not with, with you all. So I'm, I'm, no. I'm <laughs> Not with me at the very least. <laughs> and I will say uh, the fact that you wouldn't guess that now is part of the reason I'm thinking it's even more important for me to continue to not assume that people who followed my work or read my books for any period of time know all of these things and that um, it can be something inspirational and, you know, helping support people's uh, own sense of agency when they hear that given, you know, getting to point whatever, X, Z, <laughs> right, um, <laughs> from point A, uh, that, 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 that had happened. But yes, yeah, so it was, a, it was a really volatile, dark time. And I had moved away, uh, you know, very sort of classically thinking that changing my environment <laughs> would change the internal landscape. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, had gone to two different places. I moved to San Diego for a brief period of time. And that was incredibly boring to me on every level. <laughs> Wow. Not surprised. No Not offense surprised. to anyone living in San Diego, of course. Um, it just wasn't my jam. And then I went and I moved to Hawaii thinking there was this escapist sense that this was going to be really fantastic. Uh, one of my friends had moved there, uh, <laughs> notably that incredibly uh, psychologically abusive ex-boyfriend of mine had moved there too. Mm. Oh gosh. Yeah. So I moved there and that lasted um, a very short period of time. And I realized, oh, wow. Okay this is not going to work for me. And not only is it not going to work for me, I don't want to escape. I don't mm -hmm. want to be in these environments where you can really kind of check out uh, of, of, you know, doing deeper searching. And I felt like my intellect was not being challenged, nor was my spirit being challenged in these places. So I moved home on the morning of the Northridge earthquake in 1994. Oh, wow. My parents' house was in Northridge, California. Of course it was. Of <laughs> so course it, was. Uh, it was It was really interesting. I came home and, um, you know, dealt with all of the aftershocks for months. And we lived, my mom, my sister and I, we lived on a half acre horse property up there. We um, slept in a tent in our front yard through that winter from January till April because there were wow. so many aftershocks. We didn't want to have to keep getting up in the middle of the night. So we just slept in a tent in our front yard. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I feel like the images of that time, you know, are just so representative of where I was at. It was a complete deconstruction and a reconstruction that was happening that year. And that summer, um, I was spending a lot of time with my friend um, who actually just came to visit me the other day. And she had just uh, basically gone through her father's final months as he was dying of cancer. And she had just come back from Colorado. And we had spent that spring just being depressed together, uh, to be quite honest. We watched a lot of Absolutely Fabulous and we, you know, did all sorts of things. And we called ourselves big girls with big problems. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, that. that summer, um, I was like, oh, there's a Grateful Dead show in Las Vegas. We have to go to the show. It's going to be great. It's going to be so much fun. And oh my goodness, we're going to have the best time. Needless to say, um, we ended up being on a death-defying road trip, which is um, part of it is the basis of my upcoming TED Talks in October in New York. And it was just harrowing. Every, hmm. every turn, we were just being effed with, okay? Wow. Um, by what? What would you say you were being effed with by? I don't know what I would call it because, you okay. know, um, 
I, I feel like it was just some internal struggle the way we experienced it at the time was an internal struggle between do you do you both really want to be here because if not you're not going to be here because we literally had a bullet go through the the window behind my head and land in the headrest behind her head wow okay and um i mean this was four days of just never being able to have anyone assist us at all and everywhere i turned i was looking for someone to help us the couple at the gas station as we crossed into the uh, over the nevada state line as they taped up my broken window um to the police officers who left us on the side of the road two nights later at three in the morning um after my car then broke down i mean it was just constant and um it, as we were on the greyhound bus uh and traveling through the desert I remember thinking, oh my gosh, if we can make it <laughs> out of the desert before the sun rises, I know I'm going to be okay. Because we, at this point, had four sleepless nights. Four. Oh my so gosh. keep that in mind as well, right? So like 96 hours of like minimal to no yes. sleeping. High temperatures, fear, adrenaline, all the things. And we pulled uh, into, well, I think it was like the um, Apple Valley area as the sun was coming up. And I was like, okay. I consider that basically being home, being like, you know, LA, near LA County. The Greyhound dropped us off in the downtown LA uh, train station, Greyhound station, had a friend pick me up. And uh, I remember we went to the beach and I thought, okay, it's time I really get my shit together now. Like I have been- And how old were you? Like 20 something? I had just turned 22. Okay. Oh, wow. This was an epiphany at a young age. Very young. Okay. Yeah. Very young. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought I'm being given this opportunity. Like I literally, every turn I was about to be taken out, if you will. And now that I'm here, I better do something with myself. And so it was that summer uh, I was working at Tony Roma's in Encino and one of my you know, fellow servers got me the paper um, catalog of classes from LA Valley College. <laughs> <laughs> Just want to point out, when I started college, we did still have paper catalogs. Yes, yes. Yep. I remember that. And, um, you know, I had at that point dropped out of a four-year university. I uh, had done a year and then I had dropped out and that's when I was doing all of this moving. So I didn't even know, like, didn't even know how to apply or anything. So I remember him helping me, got registered, and I walked into my um, first class, which was Sociology of Women with woman who ended up becoming my first mentor, uh, Professor Pat Allen. She is now in her 90s. She just called me a couple months ago, too. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And uh, my mind was freaking blown. I was like, <laughs> what? What? I mean, that's the that's the beginning of sociology and women, I mean, is the mm -hmm. 90s. Mm -hmm. That's when you're really starting to see that. So yeah. Yeah, it was it was tremendous. And, you know, she was in her early 60s at the time. And the way she walked around, I wrote about, I write about her, you know, quite explicitly in um, my TEDx uh, that I'll be, you know, delivering in October, just how I was so floored. I'd never seen a woman this confident, so in her body, commanding space like a mofo, just like <laughs> fucking handling it. And, you know, I'm sorry, I'm throwing my F-bombs. There's no other way to just- No, 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 no. Yeah, totally it's all good. Okay. It's all good. I mean, she was handling it. And I was like- Oh my God. Wow. Wow. And my mind was blown every day. I felt like these blinders were just 
freaking ripped off. And uh, that is when I had the understanding of, you know, I talk about so much with, you know, the students that I've taught over the years and my gender women's studies classes about, you know, understanding that our individual lives, right? If we think about basic C. Wright Mills and the sociological imagination, our lives, our identity, our personality, our values, our beliefs are formed within the social context. These external influences and the world around us shapes who we are, right? Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, God, this is liberating as hell that (laughs) I'm not the problem, right? It was understanding like, oh, patriarchy is the damn problem. (laughs) Oh my God, I love that. I love that because the TikTok, am I the drama? Is it me? Am I the drama? Mm -hmm. It couldn't be me. That comes to mind so strongly right now. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and you know, I was like, oh, okay. So I'm not the only one. It's not that I'm bad or stupid or incapable, which were the thoughts that I had, which is why it was so hard for me to envision that I could be a grown person and be self-reliant. I did not think I had that capacity. I didn't even think I was intelligent, right? And um, I, I just remember thinking, okay, so I am just one of scores of individuals who have been adversely impacted by this patriarchal system, right? And that I've internalized, I mean, classic internalized oppression. And so I was so, I felt so empowered, so free, so open, and so pissed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the positive thing is I no longer felt that I was incapable or like I said, the problem, it was, you know, the system, the systems and structures of oppression, whether we're talking about, obviously, you know, patriarchy, misogyny, white supremacy, classism, ableism, sizeism, all of the isms. And so I was just lit up in a way that was um, just unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. And she began to have me assist her with various projects. One of them, which I remember I loved, was called SimSoc, Simulated Society. And we would get together students who would sign up for an independent studies uh, course over the weekend. And uh, for three days, they would go home at night, but for three days, they would be separated into four different groups, into four different rooms. And um, we would have to basically keep the society going. We had certain social indicators, right? That indicated Mm -hmm. the health of the society. Very complicated, probably didn't need to mention it, but it was, it was a really cool experiment. And I assisted her and I remember thinking, oh, oh, she sees something in me. Oh, this is interesting. Like I'm assisting her. She would give me special books to read, additional projects to do, um, all of these things. So that first year I took Uh, back-to-back classes with her over two semesters. And then I was with her for two years um, and I became her TA. I was like, gosh, if a woman like that sees something in me, uh, maybe there's something there. And I couldn't trust myself or believe that in myself, but I I believed in her. I could trust in her. And Mm -hmm. so I had this moment that I always describe, it was like electricity. Um, Oh, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. This is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. I am going, I want to be a professor. And I was like, oh, I can't believe I said that. I didn't even know how I'd get through grad school. That seems so scary and overwhelming to me at the time. And, um, you know, I was like, I want to be a professor. I want to be a mentor. I want to, you know, be an advocate and I want to continue to learn and be mentored. And so that really juicy, powerful dynamic that happens where you can see yourself as you know, the student and the teacher, you can see yourself as the mentor and the mentee, not only with, you know, my own mentor and then me mentoring my mentees, but 
also learning from my own students, right? Like all the different ways that you can give and receive basically was exciting. And I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to raise consciousness. I wanted to inspire people to have agency and autonomy and sovereignty, and then take conscious action in their own lives for their own individual transformation, as well as for collective liberation. And whatever that was going to eventually look like, that was the central hub of all the spokes, which since then have become me being a professor now for 19 years to editing and co-editing four different uh, volumes on empowerment, on agency, on social justice, contributing to other books, being a speaker, giving a TEDx to coaching, like all of that, none of that was separate. It all belonged together, right? And so for me specifically, though, when I stepped into, so I had started teaching as a professor in 2003 and then, um, you know, the, my yoga and meditation practice was equally as important as the theory and the critical consciousness I was developing in academic spaces. And I thought these two really belong together, right? We can't just operate with the intellect. We also have to have the embodied state that we bring into it. And I felt like these were very valuable spheres of consciousness raising that were very separate at the time, academics and social justice from wellness and spirituality and all of those spaces. So then when the blogosphere sort of opened in 2010, I started blogging on the intersection of those things, which really kind of opened up a new space where if we look now, they're really not separate anymore. Um, so there was a handful of academics and social justice advocates where we really wanted to blend and merge them. And so that's what I've done. So that moment officially in, you know, coming out of the desert on the Greyhound to landing on the beach in L.A. and <laughs> going like, you better do some shit with your life because you're given another opportunity. And if you don't, why fucking be here? Why waste your time, girl? Why, why waste your time? You weren't meant to be here to waste your time. And if you're going to waste your time, you might as well leave and go to the next plane, right? So I decided to, to stay in my physical human body to do this work, to heed whatever calling it was. And then a few months later, that's when I had that incredibly visceral response and awakening to what it was I was meant to do. And here we are now, 28 years later, that's what I have done consistently the entire 28 years in all the different forms that I mentioned from writing, teaching, coaching, mentoring, speaking. And um, it's just the most glorious thing that is I can even envision aside from my son, right, is that I have get to do this. And, you know, alongside of that, I think what what why I've been so consistent and steady and grown not only professionally, um, and in the impact that I've had in the various communities that I serve is because I'm constantly doing the work, right? I'm constantly, to use your word, Cindy, in a recent <laughs> exchange that we had, ascending within myself and into, uh, you know, the next space. Although I also like using the word up level, like up leveling mm -hmm. my relationship with myself, with others. And the further that I go, um, honestly, the more condensed and concentrated that journey is. I was certainly doing the work in my early 20s, but it was much more haphazard and I just, you know, kind of a novice. I was in the novice stages, you know, the nascent stages of unfolding. And so the 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 higher that I ascend, the more crucial it is to be more and more on point 
all of the time. And so I do that, but it doesn't seem like work. It just seems like, well, that is the way to be in this space. If you are not being that way in this space, you will not be in this space. And I really love being in this space, not only for myself, but um, what I'm able to create and do with the people that I serve, which is first and foremost, my family, my friends, um, you know, and then my one-on-one clients and then my students as I still do teach. And so that is a very long answer, as I promised to the question. <laughs> and yet somehow I feel like you just started. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love that you said um, that whole idea of continuous learning, like you're never done. Uh, I just, I love that. We talk about that a lot in um, in our podcast here. And it's just such an important part of evolution, I think, that doesn't get enough to talk about, (laughs) I think, anyway. Well, I think also, um, you know, listen, you know, in those nascent stages, and I know you two can attest to it, I'm sure, in your own journeys, it's like, that shit can be rough, can be very confronting, Mm -hmm. incredibly rough. Um, You know, you kind of feel like you're always being hit with something else. And it's very, can be very jarring, at least it was for me. Um, there were inconsistencies as well, you know, not always fully aligned and integrous because it was really hard and I was doing my best. Right. And there would be times I was also tired. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as I tell clients or whoever else I'm working with, when it feels exhausting and overwhelming, it's, it's going to only be hard until it's not right. And then it just becomes so damn easy. It's actually so much harder to not do the work. Right. Like, let's Mm -hmm. say you can spend five months, five years doing the more, I don't know, um, you know, demanding portions of the work. And then you spend the rest of your life really like free flowing. I'd rather than do that than if I picture my life prior to coming home on that morning of the earthquake and then going to Vegas. uh, If I think about what my life could have looked like, you know, for the last 28 years, congruent with how it was then. Oh, I I don't know. I may have potentially taken myself out. And I don't Mm -hmm. say that lightly. You know, I don't think I would have wanted to be here for it. So I have to remind people and, you know, we can actually really enjoy the process. Like that's a choice too, that no one presented to me early Mm -hmm. on. That's been a more recent concept. It's like, okay, well, what would it be like that even when it's challenging to have advanced gratitude or love all over the process to make it easier, knowing that eventually it's going to be truly second nature. It is going to be a default. That's something that I couldn't have imagined back then, you know, and I had a, um, was it a week or two ago? I had a pretty uh, powerful session with my first coach, who's now also my third coach (laughs) 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 with her. Um, and we were having a session and just really, it was like a quantum leap se- session. And, you know, you get to a certain point, it's, uh, as opposed to removing boulders, you're looking for grains of sand. Right. And we were looking in that and, uh, there was just this moment. She's also known me for a very long time. I've known her since I was 16. She's like, the hard work is over. And I literally am sitting in the chair that I'm sitting in right now, like flew back. Like I was thrown back in my chair and she's like, what can you describe what just happened? I was like, oh my God, my chest just freaking blew open and mm. my head popped off. Mm-hmm. And I just went, oh my gosh. And I had chills everywhere. And I went, that is so true because this year in my growth has been so 
exquisite and fluid and graceful. Uh, I mean, I had a um, session with Cindy where she had affirmed something that I had felt about a week or so before, like you're at a point where you can just pluck out the things that you want and they just come in so easily. And I had felt that. And, you know, she had affirmed that. And then being in this uh, other session with my first coach, when she spoke those words, it just struck me as this is truly the beginning of something different. Like, we, you know, we can have different yep. stages, but I can, and I had just turned 50 this summer too. I feel like, oh, the first 50 years of my life, there's something that closed there. And walking into, let's say, the second half of I'm lucky enough to, to live a, a few decades <laughs> from here um, is just going to be on some other plane as an elder in my full wisdom, you know, embodied, uh, just, um, yeah, the, the, the struggle that was a hallmark, you know, feature of my life and a core part of my identity for, I would say, at least the first 35, 40 years of my life are truly no longer a part of my identity anymore. And that's mm -hmm. pretty wild, given that it was very much um, like you could look at me as a teenager, punk rock, alternative, shaved head. Like I embraced life is hard. Life is a struggle. Life is. Sh and that is so not who I am. It's like funny to look back. I think probably my younger self would, wouldn't have been able to stand me, to be quite honest. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that from what you've shared of your younger self. I totally believe that. And I just want to chime in and share you, what I witnessed was you stepped into a vibrational way of living. And I don't know how else to describe it, but that whole you're plucking it out. It's like you're in such a essence of who you are as a spirit that the body, it's not secondary, it's working in tandem. But that vibration that you are, you understand it in a way that I think people spend lifetimes getting there and mm -hmm. definitely at least this full lifetime. And now you're just like, oh, I would like this client. I would like this opportunity. I would like this vacation. And you just literally pluck it out of the air. And it's so cool to witness. And again, it's inspiring to know that there is this space that you can evolve into mm -hmm. through the dedication. Because when Melanie is talking, she's making it sound like it's been real simple. And we all know it has not been. But more Did importantly, it sound that way? <laughs> there are some moments where I'm like, man, that that sounds like it was easy. And then other moments where I'm like, I know that was not easy. But your dedication to your practice. Right. Your and and can you share a little bit about your daily practice and just where that discipline and dedication came in? Because I think that's how you an aspect, at least, of how you got to where you are now and in this super evolved space. Yeah. So there's uh, there's a couple things, um, and I will answer that question. But I want to I want to make sure I remember this. Oh, I don't know. Five, six years ago, um, my first coach, the one that I was just saying had that session with, had essentially said how she was doing that like plucking things coming in can be that easy. And I remember I was like, bitch, how the fuck? It's this is so hard. Like what? You know, and I was didn't I say that to you back in March? Didn't I say something like the equivalent of like, how do you make it so easy to manifest <laughs> and have faith? I don't like, know. In the hotel, I said it in the hotel when we were at a workshop and I said I don't understand how it's so easy to just manifest and have such deep belief. It was it wasn't the same, but it was very similar. Yeah, well then but I said it much more brusquely than you did. <laughs> myself I was like oh my goodness I was like what I didn't it was like just a few years ago that was a concept beyond my understanding on, on, and, but I yeah. remember it stuck with me it mm -hmm. stuck with me that it could be because it wasn't right. her 
right? And similar like my first mentor, I trusted her implicitly because this is a person I've known since I was 16 and very, very close with, right? So I was like, okay, maybe I can't understand. And I'm also pissed off at her that it is easy for her and I can't figure it out. But the gem here is that that's a possibility, right? right? And I, as I was doing that work, you know, as you all know, I had said, I've been doing this work in some form personally for myself, since I was very, very young and then formally doing it since my early 20s. And yet it really wasn't, I will say, until I had my first one-on-one -on -one coach that everything in terms of my skills and my practices and my understandings and the experiences that I'd had up until then really came together and were magnified in an exponential way. And I remember thinking, oh gosh, this is how I felt when I, when I graduated from a bachelor's versus graduating from grad school, I went, oh, hell yeah, I freaking have a graduate degree now. This ain't nothing close to a bachelor's, okay? <laughs> and anyone who thinks they are related or are remotely close, not even. I, went, I earn this shit. Yes, I'm going to call myself a master of this material because what I went through, and I know you know because you have your PhD, Cindy, it is, it is, it truly is, um, takes you to a whole nother space within you in terms of your capability, your intellect. It's just profound. That's what this was like, but in a spiritual way where I went, oh gosh, I feel like I'm getting a PhD in freaking spirituality and trust. Uh, you know, I, I had yes. been practicing Vipassana meditation for 20 plus years. I'd been practicing physical yoga since 1996. I had been studying and deconstructing systems of oppression since 1994, but stepping into this space specifically with a dedicated guide, right, that I invested heavily with, meaning I had massive skin in the game. I was going to soak up every drop of what she had to offer, right? Had I, you know, invested a few hundred dollars, it would have been so easy for me when it got difficult to be like, I'm done. I got what I needed. I'm cool. I don't mind losing that whatever, but I invested at a very high cost and specifically like, you are my advocate, you are my guide, you, you are taking me to places that I do not understand, I do not how to get to, I don't even know how to envision like where I'm at now, right? And wow, it was really intense, but that first nine months, that first year, I felt like I accomplished 20 years of additional work. And the 20 years prior just unfolded like a continuous blossoming. It was just amazing. So that was a big part of it. And then when I started working with my second coach, who I'm still with, her level of grace and calm and unwavering trust and faith in her practices and in me and just the entire I'm going to say, you know, the, the entire web of divine support, it being there, allowed that kind of gruffer, tougher, edgier part of me to soften enough to really receive that. And combined with the two, seeing the results that were so exceptional um, just allowed me to soften more deeply into that space of receptivity. Because for me, it was always about pushing and manipulating and forcing and hustling and proving. Um, and for me to even imagine receiving and softening was something that was so repulsive to me, repelling to me, 
that it took the combination of these two very specific guides for me to be able to access not only the new spaces, but to get even more out of all the work I had done preemptively before I walked in their doors. And so since then, it is just, you know, continuing to soften into that divine support, trusting it implicitly that a doubt doesn't even cross my mind anymore. Um, and then, you know, the intellect in me and the scholar in me, the researcher in me, just simply looks at the data points, the longitudinal sort of, you know, impact of like, oh, yeah, like I have enough now data, longitudinal data where I don't have to question. This is no longer a one-off. This is no longer, you know, some statistical outlier. This is now the normative pattern for me in my life. And as long as I operate within that framework, it will continue to consistently be that. And so um, that's the mindset. That is the way of being. That is the way of receiving spiritually that supports where I'm at. And then I just make sure that I have a combination of movement. I have a combination of intellectual stimulation and study, um, a combination of contemplative and reflective practices all in my day so that, um, you know, the body, the spirit, the intellect are all being sort of, you know, activated and challenged and are continuing to grow. And they're not just, um, you know, plateauing out and then per perhaps going into a, a space of languishing, if you will. I just, as you were talking, I, I just saw, like we would word it as you, you move from a space of effort to effortlessness, mm -hmm. right? Like you were, it was effortful in your learning path until you hit this point and now you're stepping into effortless and letting it happen. That's great. Mm -hmm. Love it. And I will say when it comes to finances, this is a, a an analogy or metaphor or whatever. I don't even know the appropriate word, but mm -hmm. um, my first coach had even said a long time ago, she's like, you know, it is, it is actually harder to make your first hundred thousand dollars than it is to make a million. Mm. And I was like, mm -hmm. and I was like, what? <laughs> and I, I will say, I, I get that now because who you have to be, especially as an entrepreneur. I mean, I think that was a part of it too. Not only worked with my first coach, but it was at that time that I had quit my tenure track, you know, that coveted holy grail in academics, mm -hmm. my tenure track job to only or, you know, primarily, I should say, um, have one-on-one -on -one clients. And I've still continued to teach online now um, because I do love my students. I want to be in service in terms of what I offer is beyond just the academic curriculum. Um, mm -hmm. And I love their energy. And so it's a huge, that's very important to me to still do, but it is not the bulk of my work, let's say. Mm -hmm. And so what I did um, move into making that kind of the peripheral work that I was doing and focusing on, you know, my, my coaching um, career and made that my, you know, my open up my calendar, all of that. First of all, from the get go, I had a full calendar. Like there were people who were waiting for that. I knew it was the next iteration of my work. Okay. Like I had done the other stuff for, you know, over a decade and I was limited in the classroom about what I could do, right, mm -hmm, obviously, yeah. um, and what I could bring in. And when I did that, that part was easy, but then to actually operate as an entrepreneur, oh my gosh, coming from social justice and academics, that's like the dirtiest word you can say. <laughs> so let's pause there, because right? I just, I, what would you tell, okay, what would you tell yourself when you were journeying into being an entrepreneur what would you tell that version of you if you could tell her something that you wish you would have known? And what advice would you give to somebody that is going into a space like entrepreneurship 
when they're not coming from that space, when they are coming from academia or they are coming from a different iteration where entrepreneurship may be a dirty word to them? Uh, for me, I would just say, keep flowing, keep trusting, keep allowing yourself to be guided. Don't make it harder than it needs to be. I was very, I wouldn't have wanted to coach myself, to be honest, <laughs> with myself back then as a client. I was very difficult. I was very resistant. I had a lot of opinions, a lot of very crystallized ideas that came from those spaces that were made, created a lot of limitations that made the work harder for me. Um, so I would just like be flow, allow yourself to be guided. That's why you're here. Be willing to let go of old stories and identities and mm -hmm. just be curious, right? I could intellectualize that, but I was not very good at allowing that to happen. For people going into it, it's like the actual journey into embracing yourself as an entrepreneur for me was one of the kind of fast tracks into spiritual and growth and personal development. You have to resource and create and advocate for yourself and seek guidance and be curious and be willing to pivot in a completely different way. All the things that I had learned within my spiritual wellness, embodiment, empowerment journey up until that point was it was tested in terms of, okay, you believe that and you'll practice that when it's convenient or it's not as challenging it is in this moment. I remember laying in my bed, curled up in the fetal position when I had you know, moved from a place I'd lived at for 18 years and moved into a place three times bigger with three times the rent and feeling horrified, sick, ready to throw up about what was happening and, and being so scared. And I just curled up in the fetal position. And I remember saying over and over again, you are expansive. Oh no, wait, was it? You're confident and capable. You are able to hold this expansiveness. And I said it over and over till I fell asleep. And then I probably said it in my sleep for a couple hours. I had to be in the pocket so deeply as opposed to wanting to recoil and get out of it. So it was not until that journey where I was really stretching myself beyond anything I'd ever experienced. Like I had had growth prior to that, of course, but still within yeah. a certain limited framework where it was still comfortable, like a little bit more of what I had, a little better than it's been. This was a freaking stretch. It was just like tearing you, you know, like uh, universes open, if you will, completely going into the void. And so for me, it was like, can I still practice now? Can I still practice being present? Can I still practice trusting now? That was way easier in the, the former, you know, version of my life than it was then. And so telling people, if you are really, really dedicated to your practices and your modalities, and you are saying that you are searching and seeking to go deeper and to stretch this path of entrepreneurship, if that's what you're opening, will give you everything you want in terms of that growth, if you're willing to meet it and receive it. It was the most powerful thing that I had. You know, it would have been very easy for me to stay where I had been, you know, 10 years ago. I had a very successful career financially, professionally, on paper. Um, you know, I was widely respected already as a speaker, author, professor. In the first year of my professorship, there were newspaper articles written about me. I was getting magazine interviews. I was keynoting, you know, conferences, things that... A lot of people who were much senior to me were not doing. And yet I was like, hmm, I don't know. That wasn't enough. This is boring. This is not enough. Yeah. So what is there a mistake you continuously see either through your students, your clients, or your friends 
that they make or are continuing to make when they're either on their spiritual journey or their entrepreneur journey? Because I feel like those two can kind of parallel sometimes. Um, There's nothing that stands out specifically. And I wouldn't even call them mistakes. I don't see anything as a mistake or a failure, right? It's just, it's part of it. It's a matter of, do you want this to take longer? Do you want this to be more expedient? Do you want it to be easier? Do you want it to be harder, right? That's kind of the question for me. I very much embrace swift and ease at this point as opposed to long and hard. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think if I were, um, one block that I see is, oh, am I actually allowed to ask for more? Am I really um, able to receive more? Um, Guilt about that, shame about that, fear around that. What is if it is that good? What is if it is that wonderful? What is if I have that much joy, satisfaction, love, fulfillment, prosperity, um, that as much as people say that they want that, there is something about you shouldn't, couldn't be more. And for me, the idea of more was really important in terms of, you know, who can I be? What can I do if I expand more deeply, more fully? And that was something that was really enticing because I got to a point right before I had quit my tenure track job thinking, okay, there are certain things I came here to do. I'm dealing with all kinds of bureaucracy. I can't even do it. And there was almost a permission slip that I was given to allow me to, to be mediocre. And I was like, oh, wow. Oh my goodness. No, thanks. And I remember thinking if this is the most I ever do in my life, I'm going to be fucking sorely disappointed. There were colleagues that I had who I remember there was someone was congratulated for something. And I had this very, very tangible sort of recoiling happening. I was like, wow, they're being celebrated for that. Like it, and I, I won't even go into what it was, but I went, geez, what, what, what are we saying in terms of what you know, kind of the limits are. Um, it just felt so low, the bar. And I thought that's, first of all, a disservice to your students to have the bar that low. But my God, it's a disservice to your freaking self. And then I was like, and maybe that's not your path. But what I knew, thank you for clarifying mine. I can't just be sitting. Yeah. Here. And I think I um, put in my resignation a couple months later. I mean, that's such a... It's not a risk. I mean, it it is a risk, but it wasn't a risk. But in academia, like it's so unheard of having tenure track, having tenure track in a job, in a location, geographical location that you genuinely enjoy, that you just kind of found yourself there. And then to just say, I would like to have more and this is not going to be enough and I'm going to stay in this space in this capacity, but I'm going to jump into this huge lake over here and see what happens. I mean, you bet on yourself and you won. You won. Like, mm-hmm. I know you won. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's interesting, um, you know, to also speak about finances. I remember thinking, wow, I just took a $40,000 pay cut to be tenure track as opposed to adjunct. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, I went, so what is the incentive even now? And, and then I started to realize, you know, this had been sort of this thing in my mind that was going to prove something to myself about getting a position like that. And then when I got it, I was like, this is a, this is a joke. This is a joke. I now, right, have my full schedule of classes and I have to go to all these meetings and I have to do that. There were all of these additional things I had to do 
Whereas when I was adjuncting, I was making 40,000 more and I didn't, all I had to do was teach my classes. I love that you were making more as an adjunct than you were as a tenure track. Yes. And I know that's not true for all adjuncts. That was my experience, right? From the moment that I graduated, I was placed into the classroom at a four-year university and I was teaching. And then a year later, I was given other opportunities. So yeah, I was teaching at three different institutions. I know people complain about being freeway flyers and a lot of people have a lot of grievances. I will honestly tell you, I never had any issues. I made great money. I loved my classes. I had a lot of freedom. And once I had was a tenure track, I went, oh, okay. And I'm making less. So I actually still had to teach uh, additional classes at those other institutions in order to still, as a single mom, support my son and I. But now I had more demands on me at the institution where I was tenure track. So that was definitely, you know, a part of like, what? Wait a minute. I am. No, this is not working for me. And as soon as I, you know, I bet on myself and I quit, I never, there was never even a moment where I had any financial instability or concern because I also didn't expect that there would be. Right. And since then, double, tripled, quadrupled what I had originally made with so much more freedom and the full ability to take all of my experience, expertise, and offer it to the person who hired me as their coach. The ability to take all of that and put it in my books, put it in my TEDx, like I can offer so much more this way. And that was really the primary incentive as I felt incredibly limited. It's like, I have an arsenal of things that I can offer you that I can, you know, kind of utilize it in terms of where you want to go and I'm being limited by that. Um, it was interesting. Many of um, a couple of my former students from God, 10, 15 years before I even started offering private coaching, when they found out I was private coaching, they hired me on as their coach too. They're like, oh my God, we finally get to have more. So what does coaching look like with you? Because not all of our listeners will have had a coach or even be exposed to coaching. So what does it look like to be coached specifically by you, but you've also been coached by a few coaches? Um, well, for me, I, I have to say, I it's a very, um, very concentrated, intimate container where I I feel like uh, compared to even other experiences I have, I really, given that I have a very maternal aspect about me, I like to create a very um, loving yet firm container with which someone feels that they are within, that they are held within, that they are safe within, that I can kind of, it's almost like I have to be so much bigger than my clients in order to hold whatever comes up for them, to hold that space for them and to, you know, guide them forward into the unknown. Like, what does that look like for you? Who do you become? Bringing in and integrating, you know, my holistic background, my spiritual practices with my, you know, experience and studies in terms of sociology, identity, culture, advocacy work so that they're given the greatest opportunity for them to find and resource themselves, right? And so there's a process of excavation, but mostly it's like looking forward and then executing in a way that allows them to, to fulfill whatever it is that they desire. And usually what they end up fulfilling is very, very different than they initially anticipated because who they are a month into the process, halfway through the process, three quarters away into the process, they're going to be very different than they could have even envisioned when they first walked into the door. And then there's a sense of intuitive guidance, you know, guidance that comes into it as well. 
um, which I don't usually, it's not like I put that on my website or anything, but anyone, <laughs> anyone who has worked with me knows that that actually is part of what I feel personally is probably the greatest gift that they get is my ability to very intuitively work with them and to see and see things and to, you know, ask questions and probe and show them images and possibilities um, that are very unique to them. There's nothing formulaic about it. It's very, very, you know, personalized and uh, it allows them to access something even more deeply within themselves, kind of like what I discovered, the concept of more and being able to be surprised. So I don't know if that fully answers your question. It does. But there's not it like does. a seven step process or something. What? You don't have like just this like template? No, no template, no formula, project? no blueprint, what? none of that. <laughs> I love that. I love that you also acknowledge your intuition and your intuitive nature, because I have known you for almost two years now, which is like blowing my mind to sit here and think mm -hmm. about. And you and I work well together. So I work, I work with you quite often in different capacities. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite things is how you tap into your intuitive aspects and your intuitive skills, because it's not the same way that I do. And it's so seamless. And if people don't spend a lot of time with you. They're not going to see it as much as I do, but I just see you tap into your knowingness and you tap into your empathy and you tap into, I will say you tap into your clairvoyance, though you will say you're not seeing anything. I will say you are still seeing. No, I, I, I would agree. And I will say I had, I had those abilities from the time I was very small. I have, you know, very specific memories in my mind, three, four, five years old, a sort of knowingness and awareness. Um, that I definitely pulled in through my art, my creativity, my poetry, my writing um, as a young person. And some of that, I will say, you know, I had originally been an art major and had done an advanced art portfolio in high school that counted for college credits and was going into college as an art major. And then I dropped out, you know, and then it was the San Diego, Hawaii and all the stuff that I mentioned <laughs> at the beginning of the call. And what I, I loved sociology and research so much. It was, it was so important for me to work that part of my brain and my being and to understand statistics and research methodology. And at the same time, as I was going through grad school, I remember thinking, this is killing my creative and intuitive um, yeah. edge. That is actually why I left before I went to a PhD program. I only did a master's. Um, I was sort of considered the star person in my program. And I remember I was filling up my PhD um, applications by hand on paper. And <laughs> I was cool. listening to the Moulin Rouge soundtrack. Uh, like Great soundtrack. What's that? It's a great soundtrack. It, it is fantastic. And I, my, my, my friend Carla walked in and I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm not doing this. She's like, what? And I had a stack of papers and I threw them all in the trash. I'm like, I'm not doing this. And it was twofold. One, I'm like, I don't want to take more time being out of the classroom because I had already at this point, I had finished a master's and I took a year teaching because my sister had brain surgery and my first mentor, Pat Allen, had a brain aneurysm and my ex-boyfriend died of a heroin overdose all within two months. So instead of going directly from, you know, my undergrad into like a PhD program, I was advised, go get your master's and then you can, you know, do this. So I had done that. And I took a gap year to teach and I so fell in love with that. I did not want to honestly go back into, you know, I didn't want to go back into the research canon. I didn't want to go back into being behind the scenes. I wanted to be in there with my students because what was happening in the classroom with us was freaking magic. And 
I still have students of mine 15, 16, 17 years ago who are still in my life because the relationships and the journey we all went in was profound. You met my friend Lainey. She was my student in 2005. My, my student, Jenny, from 2006 was the one who first made the connection with me to coaching many of the realtors in Compass. Like it's, they're still in my life because it was magical and I did not want to be taken out of that. And I didn't like what was happening to my intuitive uh, knowing, my, my yeah. ability to be in creation. I was not doing any artwork. I was not writing anything, um, no personal writing, no creative writing. It was all so rigid and linear. And while I needed that, I recognized I can't do this anymore. And so, um, you know, for me going into coaching, what is so profound is I have, you know, an exceptional background in terms of doing advocacy work, um, conscious leadership. I mean, there's so many things that, that I learned and I studied and I researched and I have a very intimate understanding of, and I can connect with my client on a very deeply personal, intuitive level and help them do things and see things in a way that makes the most sense for them, as opposed to, I understand this here, take a look, right? Like that's <laughs> not happening. And so this to me is truly um, the most powerful and satisfying way for me to take everything I have gone through personally, practiced, experienced, studied, researched, written about, and offer it to that person who works with me to guide them to their fullest expression, to their deepest level of satisfaction, whatever they may look like. For some, it's relationships. For others, it's about building conscious, ethical, integrated businesses. For others, it is prosperity. For some, it's all of the above. And, um, you know, it's just a really joyful, deeply satisfying process for both of us. I love this. I do too. So... <laughs> I feel like I know we could all talk for like hours and like, yeah. this oh, is, like this five. Is the joy. Like, <laughs> yeah. well, and when Melanie and I get together the first day, it is nonstop talking from the time we are in the same space, oftentimes getting picked up from the airport until we go to bed. And then over the next couple of days, it'll start to like wane a little bit, like where we might take a couple breaths, be quiet for three minutes. Um, I have one question that I just want to ask, and this is just something that recently I started thinking about. What is one thing you wish you would have learned when you were six years old that would have helped you get to where you are faster? Yeah. And, and the thing that comes to me, um, and obviously there's no no imagery here, so I'm closing my eyes and really like going into that picture. And for me, it is just like, hey, the whole thing's a game. All the shit outside is bullshit. It really is. Have a good time with it and never lose sight of your inner wisdom and your inner knowing. Right. Um, so that's that. the biggest thing. Yeah. I love great. it. Sh it shows up as a Candyland mm -hmm. um, board game to me of like, mm -hmm. have fun with it, but also like you're on your own path. Mm -hmm. where you want to go. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I, I have to say, I'm sitting here going, wow, this was cool. I got to talk about all kinds of things. <laughs> and I got to bring in some new tidbits. And the way I also brought in some of these components of, the experience sometimes they'll stand alone in a podcast interview yeah but the way the way they're all together and the way that they wove together has been really fun and that's obviously i mean just the way that you two hold space and um i mean granted you didn't even have to ask me a lot of questions i think you maybe asked me three <laughs> 
I told you. I warned you. We'll bring you back. We, have, we, can we, bring, love... we can bring you back. It's totally fine. Yeah, we love you but in that, the way that you held space and just the the energy of the whole thing of, uh, and even the relationships that I have with the two of you, um, you know, is obviously different than um, most people who interview me on the podcast. And so as a result, there was an ability for me to, to kind of access some of the stuff from a different angle, which has been really, mm -hmm. really fun. So thank you for that. Yeah, no, I yeah. love it. I love how you integrate all the pieces together, you know, they're not separate. I really like that holistic approach. Like there's the academics part, like you, we all have these parts, right? We have an intellect, we have a body, we have a spirit, we have, and you know, in your coaching, you can really touch all of them. I thought for about a hot second that I was going to teach too. I went to art school. I was like, oh, I'll be an art teacher and inspire people to be creative and stuff. And then I, I got almost to the end of my teaching certification. And then I never went to the last test because I had the same feeling. I was like, mm -hmm. I, I don't, I want to know the last time. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> Not doing it. That's fair. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, but um, let me ask you for people that are considering coaching, what, what are some of the things that inspires people to come and reach out to you to, you know, get into a coaching relationship with you? Yeah. Well, I'll say the people who specifically come to me at this point, if I had to pinpoint uh, something that they all have in common, it is that they are more than ready, more than willing, incredibly excited to go beyond where they currently are and see what that mm -hmm. is. They are so just compelled, um, kind of mm -hmm. like I was compelled that moment I had that electricity that I described where I realized I want to do this the rest of my life. They are compelled to move beyond what they are currently experiencing that sort of, you know, sense of being compelled and being excited, I think is probably the most important thing that they can share to work with me specifically, because we are not going to just do a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. I don't want to work with people who just want to do a little bit. There are other people who will, and that's fine. That's, I get most excited about, Ooh, let's buckle up. Let's go in. Let This is going to be great. Let's go for a ride. Let's go deep. Let's go twist and turn, see how far we can get. Let's go fast. Let's go slow. And for that, you have to be really excited. You have mm -hmm. to be uh, in a place where you may not know what it is, but you are willing to be stretched. You are willing to have more. You are willing to receive more and you are ready for someone to show you how to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, um, that is what I'm really looking for in people to make sure that they have. And most of them, 99%, to be honest, have that. Um, I've I've tried to create enough content and enough energy where people who don't have that won't even come to me, to be quite honest. Mm -hmm. um, but then I still look for that um, so that we can do the most work possible because I don't want to waste my time or their time if we're not going to do a lot very quickly. I like what you said too about you don't have to know exactly where you're going to start mm -hmm. on a coaching journey. I think that's really great because sometimes you can get trapped by, I need help, but I don't know where I'm going, but I have to know where I'm going before I ask for help. Otherwise I can't get the help, you know? <laughs> yeah, you just have to feel yeah, like there's something calling you like, hey, there's more. Is that really all there is? You know, I, I will even mm -hmm. say um, a couple months ago, I had this moment of like, wow, everything's so good and it has been for a really long time and it just continues to get better. And I had this moment of like, that's a little boring. And so <laughs> when my first coach actually circled back around and was like, Hey, I'm offering this, this thing. And I was like, yep. And I I've been part of that for the last 
six, seven weeks now. And then I remember thinking, ooh, now I want more. And then she offered a group mastermind program that starts in October, end of October, beginning of November. And I was like, oh my God, that's exactly what I was waiting for. And this is about going mm-hmm. very deeply into embodied and conscious leadership where you're kind of moving to a new plane, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, the people who are entering this mastermind are some of the individuals I've been in this other program with. And they're all so exceptional um, where when they ask questions, I don't groan. I don't roll my eyes. Um, mm-hmm. When they, you know, they're, they're just so lasered on point two that I'm like, oh, this is who I want to elevate with. This is where I want to go. So for me, you know, when she said the hard work is over, it's not about now going, oh, a new obstacle course. It's going to be so grueling. It's more like, ooh, we're all going to jump in this hot air balloon together. Let's see what else is happening. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's like at this point, continuing to grow and being excited about that. and, And it's really about, yeah, it can be even better and it can be even better as opposed to it's really good and let's just continue to be on the steady, yeah. path, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of like people, I, I hear this a lot. Like, I just want to be in bliss and stay in bliss and just be there. And um, I think that what you just said, like it gets bored. Boring. Well, <laughs> you know what, what about the idea that, yeah, yeah, you know, you can actually have more of that. Mm-hmm. It can mm-hmm. be even yeah. deeper, fuller, more complex. Yes. So if right, you like right. that and you feel like you've gotten to a point that's really, you know, that you really enjoy then the next thing is what about having that be a deeper level mm-hmm. of joy Feeling and fulfillment, of joy. more yeah, expansive. That's great. Um, and knowing that you probably don't have to work as as, excruci- as excruciatingly as you did before, although mm-hmm. you do have to do some other stuff. And for me, if we're really going to be in growth consciousness, growth embodiment, you know, if you find a place that you enjoy and you stay there, you're no longer in growth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, that's great. Well, I love that. Thank you. Thank you, Melanie, for joining us today. And I have a sneaking suspicion we're going to have you back. I hope so. (laughs) Yeah. 18 freaking questions. And like, I want to get into some of the spirituality concepts next time. But this is what we're doing. Yes. So next time we'll go into some of the spiritual teaching. Perfect. So thank you, Wanderers, for joining us today and hearing Mel's story, Melanie's story, and how she got to where she is. You can find her on Instagram, MelMelKlein, or you can find her MelanieCKlein.com. You can find Lisa on Instagram at Insight and Harmony. You can find Into the Known at Into underscore the underscore known. And if you have any ideas about what we should be talking about on the show, feel free to email us, Cindy at IntoTheKnown.com. And if today's episode spoke to you and it will speak to someone else, please feel free to forward it to them. Until next time, enjoy the wonder.